Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Money doesn't eliminate challenges in life, but it does make them easier to face and overcome. Better still, it gives you the freedom to choose how you spend your time and maximize your happiness. Today, we're talking about the book, Buying Happiness. Kate is the author and she's the host of the Australian finance podcast and she covers it all. It's a really great topic to really strip back everything that we're doing and asking ourselves, am I happy? Am I working all this time and generating all this money and am I still sad or not fulfilled? Is there a purpose misalignment in my life? Because we know all the money in the world will not solve your problems because you will still see the mirror every day and that thing in the mirror is still the same. So today I am chatting with Kate Campbell, uh, author of the book, Buying Happiness. She's been on the show before and we can't do our Thursday show without GlobalX. So thank you to GlobalX for supporting the show. GlobalX are here to give Aussie investors cost-effective exposure to the most compelling opportunities in commodity markets, including green metals like copper and lithium, carbon allowances, and hydrogen. From adding some shine to your portfolio with gold, ticker code is G-O-L-D, or bringing a spark with WIRE, W-I-R-E. GlobalX offers a range of commodity-focused ETFs that you can spice up your portfolio with. To learn more and before you start investing, please read the applicable PDS and TMD from globalxetfs.com.au. My name's Glenn James. You're listening to My Millennial Money. Let's get into it. Kate Campbell, newly crowned author. Welcome back to My Millennial Money. Thank you so much for having me back, Glenn. You've been a huge support over the years, so it's really exciting to be able to chat about my very first book and uh, maybe even pick your brain because you are a two-time author now. Yeah, and I have actually told the publisher, don't call me an author. I'm just a guy who wrote some books um, and just the quality was a few questionable. Words together. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So, I mean... Money doesn't equate to happiness always, uh, as I kind of alluded to in the opening little rant. What inspired you to actually write the book and join the dots? Was it a personal thing that you found, like your career was progressing, your income was progressing, and you know, you're still dragging a happiness chain behind you? <laughs> what kind of inspired this? Because it's not a typical money book like Invest Here where you do cover that stuff. You really get to that bedrock of uh, issues that we've all got to go through. I was partly inspired by listeners of the podcast because over the years that I've been having conversations and answering lots of questions about whether it's building your ETF portfolio, sorting out your superannuation, building a budget, At its core, a lot of the questions are to do with how can I get from where I am now to where I want to go? And a lot of it comes back to the goals and the things we want to achieve. And often the questions weren't about how can I use my money to be happier, but at its core, that's often what people wanted to achieve with their money. And so throughout conversations we've had with listeners over the years, um, we know that people want to use their money and their time in a more intentional way, but often don't have the tools or resources to get there. So I had a look at a lot of the research in preparation for this book. I love talking about happiness and I've actually, I'd say I've been a very happy person along the way. I've figured out how to use money as a tool to sort of get to where I want to go and become less obsessed with it in the in the short term because I guess at the very beginning of my journey and probably some other people can relate, I was updating my net worth tracker on a weekly basis. I was checking my brokerage account every day and that probably wasn't leading to me, me to good long-term results. So mm. at this point in my journey, I I know the gist of where my money's going. I've got a simple plan that 
I don't have to change very often. And so I know what's coming in and out of my financial life. And probably the other thing that sparked this book was last year I read a a research paper called If Money Doesn't Make You Happy, You're Probably Not Spending It Right. And the researchers looked at about 50 different studies and pulled out some common threads and actually shared some ideas of how you can, you can't just go to a store and buy happiness, but there's some small changes you could make with the money you are already spending to add a boost to your happiness. And we we can chat about some of those ideas as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, were there any defining moments? And I know I kind of tried to get it out of you, but you said you're a generally a happy person, but (laughs) I'm not, and I'm not doing like gotcha interview stuff, but like, was there that pay increase or something. It's like, oh, hang on, this didn't move the needle? I think I probably saw it from the other way around of having an emergency fund and having finances that when my mum got sick a few years ago, because she already had her finances sorted, Mm. she had put money aside for years and years and years to look after herself. Um, Well, she was pretty much planning for retirement. But when she got sick and couldn't work and needed to take some time out, she had her finances sorted in a way that she was able to take time off work to get treatment and she could pay for those expenses and those things out of pocket that not necessarily can be covered with health insurance and things Mm -hmm. like that. And I saw for her specifically that money was able, it couldn't solve her problems because it didn't just automatically cure cancer, but the money was able to make things a lot easier and she didn't have to stress about that part. She could worry about getting better without having to figure out the financial part. And that sort of just reinforced it to me that while money can't solve my problems, it can help smooth things and it can help give me more options down the track as well. Yeah. And how is mum now? She's doing really well. She's uh, currently on a three-month adventure around the world. So (laughs) they're finally getting that trip they wanted. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think I gave you some comments for the book. I don't know if they made them in there or not, but I would probably recommend this type of thinking to anyone because how much stuff do we see online and different podcasts to a point and social media that's like to generate as much money and to earn as much money at all costs, where if you don't know what you're existing for or who you are as a core being, like it doesn't actually matter. Mm. And there, there is a cost when we when we spend money, when we're investing it, when we're spending our time now or we're allocating more time to something in the future. There's costs and trade-offs with every choice we make. And if we go too hard in one direction and we're just saving and investing every single dollar for years and years and years, then we might sacrifice some of that precious time that we have now that we can't get back those years in our 20s. And so it's a constant... Um, one of the psychologists I interviewed, Dr. Daniel Crosby, said it was that tension between enjoying today and securing tomorrow. And I love the way he put that because it's that constant balance. And everyone listening to finance podcasts is probably experiencing that in their own lives. They really want to get ahead. They want to do all the right things. They want to spend money with intention and spend on experiences with friends and family. But they also have listened to Glenn and want to invest their first five dollars and they want to sort out their superannuation. So it's constantly that balance between those two things. And the more we get to know ourselves and what we value and how we can rearrange our priorities in line with what we want to achieve, the easier it is to manage that constant tension. But it never goes away, I don't think. Mm. So all the research that you did, and I love how you've you know talked to psychologists and all that, because a lot of it is a problem between our two ears. Have you kind of defined in your own life what the happiness definition is for you? For me, happiness is choices and freedom and control. That Those kind of are the words that make me happy and they're ways that I've seen more happiness added to my life over the years is when I know that I can choose between two options. And while I might be doing something I don't really enjoy right now, I'm choosing to do it and I could choose to do something else. So I think that adds to my happiness, but everyone has different words that describe mm. happiness to them and you probably have some some different words as well. Yeah, money, lots and <laughs> lots of money. Nah, joke. <laughs> I and like and for me, I've been on one hand fortunate enough to actually know that money does not make me happy. To a point, sure, it makes you comfortable and gives you options, but 
you know, if I'm having a day where I feel sad or down or lonely or whatever those range of human emotions are, realistically, if a million dollars dropped in the bank account, meh, I'm still depressed. Meh, I don't have my goals achieved. Uh, Yeah, it's just, and I just love talking about this. You know, it doesn't the, buy a lot of those things like quality relationships, mm, which are mm. a huge factor in our happiness. And one of the longest running studies on adult development by Harvard University, which has been going for over 80 years, they found that the people that were happiness, happiest and the people that were healthiest long term and further down the track in their lives had the highest quality of relationships throughout mm. their lives. And that's something you can't just rock up at 50 or 60 and say, I'll switch a hundred a million dollars or a hundred thousand dollars for five high quality relationships. Mm. You can't, it doesn't work like that. And so relationships are something you have to invest time in over many years and they're messy and they're hard and they're complicated. And they're not things that we put on our bucket list or our new year's resolutions. We don't go this year, I'm going to spend 20 hours improving my relationship with my friends. We don't do that kind of thing, but it's actually the quality of our relationships that adds a huge amount of happiness to our lives. Mm. Could you outline you know, one or two biggest myths that you've discovered and even that you've put down in the book that people need to know about happiness and their life, whether it is layered with personal goals or relationships and anything else? Probably one of them is we often get confused as to spending money and being happy now. So we think that it's if we buy that holiday right now, today, we buy that thing Um, that purchase, we're going to just get that immediate happiness boost that's going to last for months and months and months. And often it's not the case. There's a lot of research that shows if we get to anticipate that experience or that purchase and we save up for it and we talk to our friends and family about it, we collect recommendations, uh, we, we get a much bigger happiness boost from that spending. So many people have probably experienced that while they've been saving for a trip, maybe to Queensland over the summer or for their European vacation. And they might have saved up for it for years and years and years. And they've gotten recommendations, whether it's to see this tiny bakery in Paris or to go on the Eiffel Tower. They've asked everyone, they've saved, they've found the perfect travel card, and that adds to the experience. And then once you've had that experience, you have memories for many years to come. You get to share the trip when you get back, and that all adds to our happiness. And so the more time we can give leading up to that experience or purchase, and then we get memories from that and we get to discuss them afterwards, those all add to our happiness. It's not just that one single experience or purchase that's the point of happiness. Mm. Were there any surprising things that came out um, in either research with professionals or your own anecdotal research that, you know, and that's the problem, like for those people who have written a book, you pull one thread of something and it's like, oh, I pulled that thread. Now I've got to do five pages on this one thread. Like, were there any kind of surprise findings or aha moments that you found in this process? One of the surprising things, you know how everyone talks about the coffee and to cut Mm. out the coffee and you'll be able to afford your house deposit, which we all know is just Mm. a bit of garbage. When I surveyed our podcast community, I collected about 350 responses of some of those things that people spent money on, spent time on, that it added value to their life in the last 12 months. So I got all of these range of different examples and I I was almost in tears reading them because it's just, it was so beautiful to read all of the different things that make people happy. And although they were all quite different, there was often similar threads through them all, like spending time with their children, buying a ticket for their parents to go on a holiday when they'd never travelled before. But one of the funny things was, coming back to the coffee, is that coffee popped up time and time again, whether Mm. it was buying a coffee machine to have a coffee each morning with their partner, whether it was going on a coffee walk with their mum, whether it was going to a coffee-making class. Like, coffee popped up time and time again. And there was one beautiful example from a woman who had been recently widowed and couldn't sleep, and she said that... Every morning, 6am, she couldn't sleep. She just went to the local coffee shop and had made friends with the barista there. And he slowly introduced her to more local community members. And so they had a a coffee catch-up group 
And then that led to her teenage daughter getting a job at the coffee shop. So for her, that one cup of coffee really changed things around. And I just thought it was interesting because we often say cut out the coffees, but it's often the coffee's attached to something else. Mm. It's attached to a meaningful moment of reflection with our partner, or it's attached to a connection walk with a friend or family member. So while we might be talking about cutting those coffees where we just mean mindlessly grab one on the way to work and aren't even thinking about it. But mm. a lot of those coffees actually come with moments of connection or taking time off work. Yeah, it's funny because there is something powerful in it. And for those who are writing their communion message for church on Sunday, like it's that coming together. I wouldn't say to you, Kate, oh, hey, Kate, I'm in Melbourne next week. Do you want to go and sit at a table and chat? <laughs> <laughs> That would just, it would come across weird, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, so it's that breaking of bread together and there yeah. is that thing. And actually, I did an experiment once when I um, I flew, because I, I do a, quite a bit of flying and I want everyone to try this, right? Just the power of, you know, the coffee and the connection and food and all that. I didn't say anything to the person sitting next to me. I was just like, I'm trying this. I did it like three times running. And it's probably circumstantial and all that. So, yeah, don't at me. But I'm like, oh, they don't want to chat. But as soon as the food came out, as soon as a drink came out, it caused some weird connection and started chatting, said hi. Oh, yeah, what do you got there? So I think you're so right. Like that whole coffee thing, it is in, you know, the fabric of so much in society, whether it is, you know, a morning routine or a catch-up thing. Uh, and I'm probably the same, like if I couldn't go down to the cafe and do some work of a morning, my day would suffer. And, mm. you know, that $4.50 coffee, although bloody, it's so expensive at the moment. Someone paid $7 the other day for a chai latte. Ooh. And I'm just like, are you serious? Anyway. Um, yeah. But it's what you get from that, ex- that purchase. That's right. I'm buying an experience. Sure, the hygiene factor is the coffee's got to be nice. Um <laughs> Yeah, so that's that's very interesting. With, um, you know, kind of leads into this, it almost becomes a, a habit, right? Every day I get my coffee on the way to work or whatever. You know, can you share one habit that after you've kind of looked through all this money and investing and happiness stuff, any daily habit tips that, I don't know, that you found even in the surveying your listeners or whatever that helped with people's happiness? One big thing is probably adding a bit of novelty to your spending. So if you are buying that coffee every day, it could be changing up the time of day or the person you walk with or the coffee shop you go to because that was something else that I thought was really interesting in the research, that the novelty, because your brain just adapts to its circumstances every time. So if you're just going 8 a.m., same coffee shop, same order every single day, then chances are the happiness boost might wear off a bit if you're not sort of catching up with someone for coffee. But if we can add some novelty, um, whether that's adding some variability to the experience, we're surprising someone. So it could be just sort of surprising someone with a gift. Um, Anything you can do to change things up, and these are sort of ways you can not spend any more money than you're currently spending, but add a happiness boost to that spending. So it might be you change the experience with a friend. So instead of just catching up every week and doing the same thing, one week someone books it and surprises the other person and the next week you reverse that. And so that adds a bit of novelty and surprise and you just don't know what's happening and you also get to anticipate it as well. Yeah, that's cool. So everyone, don't go to your usual watering hole tomorrow morning. I want you to try somewhere different and go with someone else. If we turn it up a notch to like the money side and balancing this need for happiness. So we've got financial goals and I know if, you know, the candle that burns twice as bright lasts half as long. What is it? The candle that burns at both ends lasts uh, whatever. How do you reconcile achieving your personal financial goals because you want them sooner than later? Yeah. Is it worth crunching and being unhappy for a period? I mean, and it probably depends on the sacrifice, right? Like, you're not going to work 80 hours a week for three years straight or the wheels will fall off. But if it's for a three-week period and you need to clean up some debt, sure. But, you know, a lot of us have different financial goals. How can we kind of reconcile that? I can't be on 24-7 at all costs rather, like just going for it. Yeah. I think it's coming back to what your priorities 
are and that's quite hard to work out in reality because many of us have a lot of short-term goals we want to achieve. Like we we do want that holiday and we also want to save for Christmas and we also need to replace our phone because the screen's completely destroyed. And so thinking out what those short-term, medium and long-term priorities is a lot easier in theory than reality. So I would say writing out that and then trying to rearrange so you've got your priorities locked in and then When it comes to balancing that enjoying today or sacrificing for tomorrow, often we can sacrifice for a short period of time. Mm. And I was reading a thread, I think it was in your Facebook group recently, and people were sharing the sacrifices they had to make on their journey. Yes. And that was quite fascinating because you read through them and some people were saying, well, for five years, my partner and I moved back with our parents so we could save lots of money for the house deposit or maybe because I had to get this study done, I was working full-time during the day, I was studying full-time in the evenings and weekends, so I sacrificed my social life for years. And it's very interesting trade-off because a lot of that has repercussions down the track because in five years you might be upskilled in your career, but suddenly all of your relationships are going to need a lot of time investment. And it's, it's just that constant juggling act. And I think it's, it's really hard. I don't have a clear answer for you, unfortunately, mm. Glenn, but thinking about can you sacrifice for a short period of time or how can you even not completely sacrificing? So you might have to scale your social life down to uh, a 20 out of 100 mm. and not completely take it to zero. But maybe then, you know, in two years time, you can scale that social life back to 100 again, because you're going to have your weekends free. But We've always got things that come up and it, it is a balancing act. I don't think to reach your financial goals, you should be miserable for years and years on end. I would say that's probably not the right way to go about it. I think that maybe there's some adjustments to be made. Like you don't want to be paying off debt for three years and be completely miserable. Mm. And so even finding lower cost ways to um, enjoy your time in the meantime because you don't get that time back. Like once the debt's paid off, you've might have lost three years. So thinking yeah. about how you can do find some not balance but some um, enjoyment in the meantime, even if it's just lower cost activities. You talk about hacking your brain and people, you know, scared to take risks because of mistakes and you know, analysis paralysis, that old chestnut. Um, What's your motherhood encouragement for people around, you know, the fear of mistakes and how to overcome that? I'm someone who thinks taking risks and taking healthy risks is a really important thing. And I would challenge you, if you think back to some of the best things that have happened in your life, you probably had to take a risk at the beginning, whether it was applying for the job and not being quite qualified enough when you went to the interview or asking someone out on a date or starting a new hobby or a side hustle or even a brand new uni course. Like most of us had to take some risks at some point. And so I'd encourage you to, if you are sort of scared about getting started with your financial journey or investing, to sort of reframe risk as it can be a good thing. If I mm-hmm. understand some of the basics, I'm not going in, it's not like going bungee jumping without like checking all the equipment and yeah. checking the the people running it are qualified. Like you're doing your checks and balances, but taking risks can be a good thing and can lead to some great opportunities down the track. And so if you are scared about getting started, thinking that everything good often starts with risk, Taking risks can be a really good thing and I can take them in a healthy way by listening to My Millennial Money, understanding my financial foundations, going to the Money Smart website and getting some of those foundations there so I'm not going in blindly. Don't, don't go to that website. Just buy your book or my book. There's a few errors on that website that I'm not happy with. <laughs> have you written to ASIC? <laughs> I actually have once. Yeah. <laughs> I've given up. But hey, they're trying to do good and all that. But um, yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah, like just collect information. Because I always say to make decisions, we've got to get as much information on the table. Yeah. So what strategies would you recommend to people to get out of that fear and the analysis paralysis? I think the first one to look at is loss doesn't have to be personal. So if you're getting started and I really encourage starting with a small amount of money, whether it's $5 or $500, depending on which platform you're using, make that amount small so that you can get started and learn and know that all the professionals and all the experts 
made mistakes at the beginning and it's not not doesn't have to be personal. I would spend time learning, so invest time, but also I'd give it a time limit because we can collect information for years and years and years. And I've spoken to some people that have spent years trying to pick a brokerage account and that stopped them taking the first step on their investing journey. So I would say, okay, I'm giving myself a month to learn everything I can about brokerage accounts. I'm going to pick three different brokerage accounts that seem to sort uh, my problem and then I'm going to research them. And by Mm. the end of this month, I'm going to pick one of these platforms and go for it. And so giving yourself a time limit does help you take that first step. And also try and find someone that can keep you accountable on that journey. I was speaking to some listeners of our podcast when we were on the road for our events recently, and there was two of them and they were both learning together and they were they were both at the same point. They had never invested before, but they were in their 40s and they said, why don't we know this? We should know this. And so they had decided to get together and have a coffee each week and keep give each other one research task and come back together and share what they've learned. And so I think that's really important as well. If you, if you are getting started and you're feeling a bit nervous, if you can find someone or even just follow along with how other people are going in a Facebook community, if you don't have someone to talk to in your own life, to help you keep accountable and to help you take that first step. Mm. I wrote down, um, because what I'm thinking is that's awesome when it comes to money, but there are so many other parts of our life that we need to get used to taking risk with, right? Whether it is career, um, a job, relationship, a, a new hobby, a, a new training thing. Um, and I just wrote down, and I'm going to steal our you know, ideas from this chat and put <laughs> a bit of a, like a word, it's, it's like the I'm just workshopping with you on the fly. It's the TEM principle, T-E-M, the first step, time. You've got to set a timeline to gather data. Don't do anything during the data gathering stage. E, execute. And it doesn't have to be all. Just, you know, it could be I'm gathering data on a new job or career for that first three weeks, month. Mm. The execute be, okay, I'm going to make one phone call to someone in that career or industry and ask if I can have a coffee. Yeah. And small small experiments I think are really yep. important. Yeah. Like whether it's you're investing $5 to see how it works, to see how you're feeling or if it's sending a message to someone in link, on LinkedIn or taking an online course before you commit to doing the degree, find the smallest possible experiment you can do to learn and to grow and to actually take the training wheels off and then, and then give it a shot. And then the M is kind of monitor or, you know, continue to learn because I think that's the whole thing. It's like you need to be in tune with, this sounds really like Spiro and out there. And I'm I'm more thinking about like the career change or the, if I want to learn a new hobby or something, I go down to the local sailing club and chat. And I think it's very important in that time, once I have done that execution, or even if it is investing, to just make sure you're checking back on yourself. Like, how is this feeling? Yeah. Because often the way we feel can be a sign that something's up. I've had some recent um, nights of loss of sleep and that's a real physical thing. And for me, that means something's not right and I need to address it. So I think it is that whole, you've got to have time, but then you've got to execute. doesn't have to be everything. But then for a period of you know time after that, just check back in with yourself and see how it is actually feeling. And it's okay to pivot and go, that wasn't for me mm. and I'll do something else. Yeah, and I think it's, it, as you said, it's important to check in but then keep going. So mm. especially with investing, I've I've got a couple of friends who invested $500 and they're like, I've, I've done, I've ticked the box, I've invested, yeah. <laughs> that's it. And then years have gone by and they still aren't ready to make that next step because they just, in their mind, they, they invested. And that was all they had to do. And so thinking whether it's career or this, like how can you, if it is the right direction for you, how can you keep learning and keep growing that skill set? Yeah. We'll take a break. And then when we come back, I'm going to ask Kate a personal question. So we'll be back right after this. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Kate, we're back. I've got a personal question. So at the moment, you're studying law. What area of law? Well, the subjects I'm doing at the moment, I'm a bit over halfway through the Juris Doctor and uh, I'm doing company law right now and statutory interpretation. And if anyone's ever studied law, it is a hard subject. And if you have any tips, feel free to send them my way. Yeah. So, I mean, that's quite an undertaking, right? So my question is, you're studying law, you've got, will we say your day job is podcasting, doing all the stuff, education with investing in Rask and all that. You've committed a whole heap of time and energy to this book, Buying Happiness. And, you know, I'll, I'll read through the chapter titles after this, but like, have you had a personal change in what you want to do over the coming years because of looking all this stuff? Probably in a way. I am, I still don't quite know how I can bring all of my different interests together, but I did get really interested in the area of like a positive psychology. And I know you've chatted to Declan Edwards as well on the show. He's a fantastic speaker and educator and he's a happiness researcher. And the stuff that he's researching and talking about really fascinates me as well. And so I'm not sure if further down the track, there hasn't been as much, like a lot of the research I did for the book is from studies in the US. So I'd love if maybe down the track, I could do some studies on happiness and money in Australia. That would be really cool. But I also am fascinated by law and especially some of the areas where it is very complicated for people. And Mm. what actually got me interested in law in the first place was reading product disclosure statements and going, these are so complicated. They're not usable. My friends are never going to read them, even Mm. though we all tell them to read them. They will open page one and go, I don't understand what's going on. So I was also interested in law because how can we make things more simplified and accessible to consumers and make them easy to use? Because at the moment, I would say they're not that usable for the regular person. Mm. Finding your feet, chapter one. Chapter two, feeling financially confident. Three, building your money mindset. Four, hack your brain. Five, money talks. Six, spend your time better. Seven, buying happiness, the flagship chapter, maybe. Eight, from little things, big things grow. Nine, nothing ventured, nothing gained, the risk-taking. Chapter 10, looking ahead. Out of all those chapters, what was the most challenging one to write and why? I think maybe the Money Talks chapter about having conversations about money because Mm. when I was researching for that and talking to a lot of people, everyone experiences money in their own unique way. And then when you bring two unique people together, that is also a whole nother kettle of fish. Like a lot of people I speak to, they all deal with money in their relationships and between family members in different ways with different priorities. Some people give a lot more financial support to family members and some kind of say, you're on your own now. Mm. And some people split everything in relationships and some people split nothing. And so it is. that was probably hard to provide some sort of concrete actionable stuff, given that everyone is so individual. So there are some prompts in there. There's some strategies for having hard conversations, but that was probably like the hardest one to put Mm. together. 
the most interesting one was the buying happiness research and looking at all of the different strategies in there because even doing it myself i i'm going to i've been putting these into practice over the past year um enjoying that a lot more and even just now i know how important the quality of our relationships are i've made it a priority to invest more time in my relationships and spend more time with friends and family knowing that even if it feels like a lot of time right now it'll make me happier longer term mm. who has been the most influential person in your life to date i'd probably say it's my mum yeah she was someone that pushed me to take risks as a child she was always pushing me out of my comfort zone encouraging me to get back when i fell over and even though we didn't talk about investing as such like money wasn't off the table but they weren't talking to me about ETFs and shares when i was 15 or 16 mm. but when i when i came to start investing by myself i'd taken risk a lot as a child and i knew that it wasn't the end of the world i could get back up again even if it didn't work out so i think that made it a lot easier for me to start investing in a way that's quite different to the experience of many people that i listen to my podcast and that i hear from for a lot of them investing your first $5 is a really scary activity there's a lot of fear there there's analysis paralysis it's very hard to take that first step so i'm very grateful that my mum sort of normalized taking risks and that mm. made it even though i didn't know what i was doing when i was getting started it made it easier to take that first step and from there i started my own learning journey in chapter 10 you talk about becoming financially independent does that mean different things to different people or is there an overarching rule like gravity what does that mean to you and how are you becoming financially independent the way I frame that chapter because I know financial independence does mean different things to people for some of my family members just having an emergency fund and knowing they've got enough if something goes wrong to them that's financial independence. Mm. For me I I have the emergency fund I would like to have enough money to support myself even if I didn't have an income for an extended period of time. So that for me that is more than an emergency fund but I tried to frame it in a way that people could work out what, what is financial independence for me? What is enough for me? So for me, I want to keep investing for the next few decades and hopefully long past that so I have more control over my time. But I also sort of point out that if you don't know what that point of enough is for you, then there's never going to be a point of financial independence. Even if you've got $10 million in the bank, you're not going to feel control over your time, over your life if you don't know what is enough for you. Yeah, and that's a good time to pause and everyone driving along or, you know, mowing the lawn or on your tractor or mopping or whatever you're doing now, what is enough for you? Forget what everyone says online, forget all this stuff, all that stuff. What is enough for you? Because if you don't know what enough is, well, what are you doing? And that's not saying that as if you've failed or whatnot and you may have not considered that before because there was a question in our Facebook group the other day Someone was like, oh, I want to change my careers. I'm not happy at my job. It is a $15,000 pay cut or five or whatever that was. You know, what if, well, I've done my numbers and I work out that enough is less than what I'm earning now and I could be a lot happier with a lower paid job and, you know, retrain in that area and you'll end up earning more because you're doing something you're passionate about. Um yeah, it's just what is enough. That's what yeah. I want everyone to – it's probably a, a good kind of thing, like if there's one thing to take away today for people to work out what is enough for them because that's going to be their baseline of happiness, isn't there? Yeah, and I think it's it's also not just like what's enough long-term, it's what is enough today. Have mm. I done enough today? Then I don't need to keep doing more and stay up working till 11 p.m. at night because I've – I've done enough. And have I saved enough? If my goal is to save $1,000 this month and I've done that, then can I enjoy the rest of my money and not worry about trying to save every other dollar on top of that because I've I've hit my goal for the month. That mm. is enough. And even career and study, like when as someone who's balancing multiple plates, like many of your listeners, trying to decide what is enough because I don't have time to do every single piece of additional reading that the lecture might have, but I need to decide what's enough for me and am mm. I going to be happy and proud of the attempt I've done? 
you're like, how do you write a book and study law and work? Well, this year it was probably I, I dialed the social life back right. to a 20 so there for was the that first, sacrifice, yeah. Yeah, and maybe I allocated more time to being efficient. So I probably didn't spend as much time cooking and maybe purchase some salads sometimes and things like that. So for me, there was a few trade-offs. I maybe didn't spend as much exercising and things like that. So mm-hmm. pulled back in some areas that now I'm now I finished the book and that time has come back again that I'm reallocating time. So as as we were talking about earlier, you can change your priorities for six months and go, mm-hmm. I'm going to spend a lot more time on this thing and this is just a finite project. It's only going to be six months or whatever the time is for you. And when that, I'm going to dial everything else back to a 20. And then when I finish this project, well, I'm going to make a meaningful attempt to dial them back to an 80 or to 90 or wherever I want them to be. And but it's just knowing what your priorities are. And so I was happy to focus on the book and focus less on some other things uh, because I knew that it was a short period of time and that this is something I really wanted to do. What's your own investing philosophy? For me, I, and it's probably been a broken record on your show, but I focus on a core and a satellite portfolio, though I haven't invested that much at all over the last 12 months because I did purchase my very first unit. Oh, uh, congratulations. <laughs> thank you very much. I know that's, it's quite challenging to do that at the moment. Was so. there much of a scar from the kidney being removed? Uh, a little bit. Yeah. Uh, stamp duty in Victoria is a lot of fun. I've heard, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that, that has also meant I've had to sort of come to terms with the fact that I can't invest as aggressively as before because I'm paying off a mortgage now and I'm putting money in an offset account. So that's kind of been interesting to watch sort of rearranging my financial priorities and how I felt as someone who was very heavily investing before to pull that right back. And so I even though I can't invest as much as before, hmm. I still make it a, a point to invest a small amount each month to keep that habit going and to make make my brain know that I'm making progress. The invest, well, you have been investing because I'm just thinking really philosophically, like you're investing in controlling your accommodation arrangements, you're investing in controlling your accommodation costs long-term, you're investing in security, um, and stability because, you know, for those people who rent, I mean, it can be really challenging every time the uh, lease comes up for renewal. So, yeah, I would say you haven't stopped investing. Mm. Um, you've just reproportioned your money to a different goal for a period. Did you sell down any shares to put towards the unit deposit? I did. And that's probably (laughs) a little bit interesting because I had been investing for about seven years and for a period of time I was living on base and didn't have that many living expenses. So I was able to invest quite aggressively early on in my career and I had been working full time since high school. So I was able to sell sort of portions of my ETF and share portfolio to help fund that. And was that your first property that you had purchased? Yes, yes, I do not have a, a property empire at the moment. Before that, I was very much just investing in shares and mm. ETFs, had never really considered property, but mm. it was kind of the right time and I wanted that security and stability. And, and there is something very different that I didn't recognise before when I had been talking about shares and ETFs. Once you own your own place, it's a very different feeling and I don't think I recognise what people spoke about before because mm. I was going, well, you don't have to invest in property, you can invest in shares and ETFs. And it wasn't until I had that experience and you can touch the wall. Mm. And it's just, it's very different. Yeah. And I'm not getting evicted. Yeah. Yeah. Did you use the first home super saver scheme at all? No, no, I didn't use any of those. Yeah. Any other um, incentives that you picked up on? Like did the Victorian government, they obviously didn't waive any stamp duty. Uh, not not for what I was buying, no. Yeah, yeah, and that's the problem, isn't it? It's just it's always moving and you've just got to like make the call. All right, we're doing this. I need the, the greater good of having the apartment. Um, yeah, yeah and, and selling's very a different feeling. After yes. you've been, I, I can imagine after 20 years, it'll feel even, even stranger if when I reach financial independence and say I sell some of my holdings down to fund my lifestyle, it is a very weird feeling selling mm. when you've built it up over month 
and month and month additional investments. Selling a heap in one go feels quite weird. Yeah, and that's what I found like I've said for a while now, like my parents have recently retired and uncles and aunts and all that and spending 40 years of accumulation or more then to go, okay, we're stopping accumulating into drawdown phase, that's a mind F. Like 40, 50 years of habit and not earning to go to I've got this big pile of money and I don't spend and I should. Mum, if you're listening, friggin' book a holiday to Europe, get your passport, it's okay, you can do it. They don't have their passports. And I'm just like, just get your passports. Go and spend 20, 30 grand on a holiday. You got the money. It does give you more appreciation of people working towards and reaching retirement, having to switch from save, 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 invest, accumulate, build wealth for retirement to suddenly Mm. using that money. Mm. You can see why people find it so difficult to live on anything but dividend income. Yeah, totally, totally, totally. Well, look, I think it's it's been a really encouraging chat for me. I'm going to... um, look at a couple of things just in my own life after chatting about that with you because, I mean, we do so much stuff and for the last year I've been kind of been front of mind like that, that saying like at what cost? You can take over the world, you can do everything, but at what cost? And for me, my contentment, my happiness, um, my sense of balance um, and that's what like I'm truly fascinated like you writing a book, studying, working, doing all the things that I don't know if I've personally got that capacity. And you probably could say, well, I couldn't do it ongoing for five years. Like I think yeah, the older I get- probably not like, something I would want to do in my 30s. That's why I want to do it in my 20s. Yeah. And that's kind of like, I think as I've got older, I've really learned that my capacity is less by choice. Yeah. Like I don't actually care about taking over the world and- and doing all that stuff and, you know, I just, I've got my portion and that's enough for me and that's a big part of my own happiness journey. So Yeah, and often when we look at other people and we say we want what they have, we don't think about all the sacrifices and the costs they had to pay to get to that point. And so that's something that I try and keep in mind. I might be seeing people that have this huge business but the, the point to get to that business is a long and arduous road. They've probably lost hair. They've taken a lot of risks. They've had a lot of stressful nights. And maybe it sounds cool in theory to run a big business, but talking to business owners and getting to know their lifestyle and a lot behind the scenes, that might not be something I actually want to do. I just like the idea, but I don't want to pay the cost. Mm. Do you have any final burning thoughts that you want to leave us with? Biggest thing I want people to take away from this book is just to talk about money. The more conversations you can have about money, even if they don't go well the first time or they're really awkward or you don't have the words, it doesn't mean you can't have that conversation again. It might just be the wrong time to have that conversation. They might not be in the right headspace. If they're dealing with paying off debt and you're super excited about investing and going to Europe, maybe that's not going to meet upright and you have to meet them at their level. But I just encourage you, The more you can talk about money with your friends, your family, your colleagues, the better the world will be long term. And don't just jump straight into the heavy conversations. You can start with fun things like, hey, this is this money saving tip. Or I went to the farmer's market on the weekend and got two avocados for a dollar. True story. Um, (laughs) I was very happy about that. Oh, man. I'm actually, I'm going to um, do my own little fun thing. And I found someone the other day who had the same mortgage product as me, right? And their interest rate's better than me. And I'm like, I'm getting on the bloody phone. I'm going to record it and make content. <laughs> so, like, you've got to hack and find your thing. And I'm like, oh, that's going to be fun. I, I'm going to just go direct to the bank. And, and yeah, you've got to, you know, make your life fun and engaging. And if yeah. you get joy out of calling the bank and trying to squeeze a few points out of the percentage, knock yourself out. If you like going to the farmer's markets and getting a awesome deal on avos, do it. Yeah. I mean, the bread was about $10, so it probably sort of <laughs> balanced itself out. How's this with um, trade-offs, right? We've got a brand of bread in New South Wales, Sydney, come out of Sydney called Sonoma Sourdough. And they now stock it at Woolworths up here. And it's the nicest sourdough. And I was shopping the other day and I was like, got my sourdough. It was like, I think $7.50 or $8 or whatever. I literally put it in the trolley. Then I looked at all the like the Woolworths brand and other type sourdough. 
I put the Sonoma back on the shelf, got the $6.50 Woolworths sourdough, put it in the trolley and then I'm like, nah, getting Sonoma. I know it's good. I know it's what I love. I'm happy to, you know, make that trade-off um, where other things I didn't buy a premium item because that was my thing. Yeah, and it's, that's coming back to knowing what you value. If you know you don't really care what you have for dinner, like I, I don't really care what I eat. I'm quite happy to have eggs on toast. Oh, um, amen, yeah. <laughs> like I spend less money on that kind of thing and I'll spend more on taking friends out or giving people birthday gift experiences or things like that because I know that's what adds more value to my life. So locking in on if you love spending on fancy restaurants, then spend more money on that, but spend mm. less on other things. Like you can't spend money, heaps of money on everything. There's only a finite amount of money coming in each month, but mm. you can supercharge one area and reduce other areas. Absolutely. Well, buying happiness, it is out now. Learn to invest your time and money better. We'll put a link in the show notes uh, so you can buy that. Uh, it's easy to read. It's jam-packed with heaps of helpful resources you can set financial goals you're excited to achieve, start having conversations about money with others, invest for your very first $5 in the share market, explore research-based ways of maximizing your enjoyment of life and work towards financial freedom. And remember everyone, if you click in the link to buy Kate's book, if you don't have my one, throw it out in the card as well because you will get to pay postage once and you will get a copy of our book and Kate's book. So there you have it. Everyone wins. Everyone's a winner. What can I say? Kate Campbell, author, host of the Australian Finance Podcast, lawyer in the making. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for coming on the podcast. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me, Glenn. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports a variety of charities, and we encourage you to consider giving as part of your overall financial strategy. If you would like some giving options, or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to mymillennial.money forward slash charities for more info. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.